Hello, everyone. I'm Bobby Franklin. Happy New Year, and thank you for joining me for another episode of NVCA's Venture Capital. This is a special episode because this year we are celebrating NVCA's 50th anniversary. You'll hear from Skip Heiser, whose father was the founder of NVCA, as well as Chris Brody, a former NVCA board chair who served on the board for more than a decade. Before we get started, we want you to tell us what you'd like us to discuss in future episodes of Venture Capital. Email us at podcast at nvca.org with your ideas and suggestions, or reach out to us on Twitter or LinkedIn. Help us spread the word about this podcast by writing a review on Apple Podcasts and telling your friends about the show. Now, we are beyond excited about our 50th anniversary. It was 50 years ago this month in 1973 that the National Venture Capital Association was established. A lot was happening in 1973. President Richard Nixon's vice president, Spiro Agnew, had to resign because of charges of tax evasion and receiving bribes. He was, of course, replaced by Gerald Ford. The OPEC oil embargo crisis had Americans standing in long lines to gas their cars. And the U.S. ended its involvement in the Vietnam War. Meanwhile, while all this was happening, a new dynamic industry was really gaining ground. Venture capital was emerging in the 70s as an asset class with a growing number of firms on both the East and West Coasts. Public policy changes saw more capital flowing to VC, and the industry needed a national voice in Washington. And out of that need came the creation of NVCA. To talk more about Ned and the first days of NVCA is his son, Skip Heiser. Welcome to the show, Skip. Thank you, Bobby. It's good to be with you. So I got to ask you, Skip, what do you know or what can you share with our listeners about your dad and his leadership and creating NVCA back in 1973. For context, it might be interesting to give you a little background on my dad and then reflect a little bit on where the industry was at that time. So my father was, you know, he was born in 1929 and he was was born in the Chicago area. He went to Northwestern, studied chemical engineering and economics, and then he went to Yale Law School and uh, graduated from Yale and got out and he went to work for Arthur Anderson as an auditor. So, it's, you know, so far, this is kind of a, you know, a circuitous path, I think. And then he, he was with Anderson for a couple of years. And then he went to Kidder Peabody and did investment banking work and then left Kidder Peabody and went to Booz Allen and worked for Booz Allen for uh, four or five years. From Booz Allen, he got hired to run what was then called the private Placement division. It was himself and an uh, assistant, and at, at Allstate, and uh, which was Chicago-based at the time, of course. And he did that until 1969, and left um, in 1969 and formed Heiser Corporation, which was uh, a C corporation that I think was the first institutionally backed uh, venture firm in the country, and it raised money from not-for-profits, for-profits, endowments, etc. And they raised $81 million. And so $81 million in 1969. You know, at that time, you know, they, you know, no one had raised a fund like that, to my knowledge. And, and a lot of most of the work was being done by, you know, families, you know, some individuals and, and the like. But it wasn't really an institution or an industry at that time for in venture. So now they've got they closed that in 69 and started investing and 
I think at that point, and, and probably before my my dad and others realized, boy, we really need a somebody to speak for this this what they believe would be a very growing industry, and so that's that led to the NBCA being formed uh, a few years after you know, Heiser Corp was. You know, it's interesting you say that and talking about eighty one million dollars back in the early seventies, and here we are now fifty years later. Recent data showed that the median-sized venture fund was only $45 million in today's time. So thinking back 50 years ago, $81 million was huge. That's probably more than the entire industry had invested to the extent there was kind of an industry at that point. It's quite astounding. And I think it was, you know, it was not only the launch of the NBCA, but I think it got a spotlight on, hey, this, this can actually happen. What can you talk about in regards to your dad and advocating and sort of spending time in Washington and, again, kind of those early days of NBCA? I think my father was, he was a big believer in the United States and believed that people should have the opportunities to, you know, to start companies, do things that they had a passion for. And then he also believed that job growth was very important to the, uh, to the overall economy. And so when he got into running Heiser Corp and started thinking about, all right, what's, what are the connections to Washington? What do we need to do? And there were a number of items, but he spent a good portion of the 70s going, you know, we were based in Chicago. I grew up in Chicago. And, but my dad was, you know, he'd end up, you know, going to see portfolio companies on, in the West Coast. You know, I had a permanent room at Ricky's, you know, the hotel in Palo Alto. And then he would fly to Washington. And he spent a lot of time advocating uh, for in, in D.C. And that particular things that he was focused on is that, one, his view that Heiser Corp should be able to become a public company. Didn't mean that all venture firms should be, but he believed that Heiser Corp should. And he wanted the blue collar worker, if they had some money and they wanted to invest in a venture firm, there's no way for them to do it. And, and because at that time, the Investment Company Act prohibited venture firms from going public, in effect. And so he spent a lot of time advocating in D.C. around the Investment Company Act and the Investment Advisors Act to get those changed so that you could take a company like Heiser Corp and take it public, which was what happened in 1980. Congress adopted the 80 Act amendments to the, both the Investment Company and Investment Advisors Act, which created this business development companies, or BDCs, which are the the vehicle through which you know almost all public venture capital firms have gone public under. Well, I know he gathered a lot of the early investors, and they were a part of the original board of directors and advisors to NVCA. Do you recall either stories or his interaction with some of those other leaders in the industry? I do remember people uh, being in the living room. <laughs> You know, I would have been at in a time I was born in I was born in 1959, and you can imagine as a you know 10 year old, 12 year old, I meet these individuals that were coming you know coming through, and you know some of them were entrepreneurs and turned out to be highly successful, you know really acclaimed entrepreneurs, and and then others uh, are folks that were on the venture side and and deploying capital, and today I I regularly am running across people said hey I knew your dad he. I was I was a young guy on that deal. What do you think NVCA has meant to the venture industry over all these years? 
I think my father recognized very early when uh, when they formed the NBCA is you need a voice in Washington. Now, all the people that are in the industry, you know, that are making investments, they're busy. They got all kinds of things to pay attention to. Many problems in developing companies, portfolio companies. You know, they all have issues uh, from time to time, and that that takes a lot of for an active venture capitalist or a private equity investor. That takes a lot of energy, and they don't have the time to go to Washington on a regular basis and continue to pound the drum on behalf of uh, on, uh, on the important issues that uh, that you, Bobby, and your team can do. You know, as we think about the 50th anniversary and we think about all that's happened and all that NVCA has done over the years and all the different people who have come through and, and been a part of that, I guess I'm just curious how as the son of the one that created NVCA, thinking about a 50th anniversary, how do you think he would, if he were here, would want to reflect on the 50 years of something that he began? Or how would he want us to kind of take time to acknowledge this 50 years of work? I think he would be very pleased where things are going and how this you know, again, I, as I said, he believed that we should have public companies that are venture capital firms, and we have a lot, uh, many of them now. And it, it, the industry has grown. I think uh, you know all industries have challenges here and there, and you have to figure that out. But he was a long-term looker at problems. He believed in investing in companies and being committed to them for the long term. And I think uh, 50 years, 50-year anniversary certainly qualifies as long-term. I think that's pretty exciting. But I do think he would shift this, that your question, Bobby, and I think he would say, well, what's what's coming in the next 50 years? What are we really going to focus on as an industry? How can we be better? How can we expand access to capital for developing companies? How can we expand opportunities for non-venture capital professionals to, you know, to invest in developing companies? And then I think also see more permanent capital vehicles. I think that's a, we're starting to see a little bit more of that activity. And I think he, he certainly was a big believer in that. So, you know, getting rid of some distortions that it, that the five to seven year investment uh, timeline that fu- the fund-based VC uh, approach has and be able to invest in companies and, and then keep those investments, not only to help the companies, but then to capitalize on a lot of the capital appreciation that takes place not in just years one through one through eight or one through 10, but from, you know, years 10 through 20. And I think there, there are a lot of, there's some ex- many examples of how they can work really well. Well, I love the concept of recognizing the 50 years, but turning it the other direction and looking forward. And I think that's a, a unique feeling shared by most venture capitalists and long-term investors where they're always optimistic. They're always looking to the future. They're always thinking about what can entrepreneurs and portfolio companies do to make the world a better place and love hearing about kind of some of the early advocacy and his belief about everybody being able to invest in those things. And many of those debates are still ongoing today. And I think that we, you know, at NBCA will continue to be part of those debates that he started 50 years ago. And that'll be fun. I know that you have followed in your dad's business footsteps as a private equity investor and company builder for at least 30 years. How do you think about 
venture capital. Is it the same way that your dad did? Or have you kind of evolved the way you think about kind of investment in startup companies? I think that what I have done, I, uh, my, my father and I sort of loosely aligned about 1995. I was a corporate and securities lawyer working, working primarily with developing companies for 10 years before that. And we talked about doing something together and we decided that we would do it in the format of go out and start companies. We both have passion for entrepreneurs and for the entrepreneurial process. And so when we formed Heiser Capital, we started within three years, we, we co-founded, I should say, three companies, and then we've done one other since then. It's a lot of hard work. The three companies uh, that we started, you know, all survived. <laughs> Some prospered more than others. And in that course of that, you know, we did raise capital from other some other folks. You know, we invested in them all along the way. I think what we need to do is continue to advocate and remind the public and Congress that uh, these are people doing real work and helping create real jobs, real companies that create real jobs. And I think uh, we get a little bit of a bad rap occasionally. You know, because uh, you get thrown in the bucket of uh, people that don't do anything to just just make a lot of money, and that that couldn't it couldn't be further from the truth. It, venture capital adds a lot of value. Well, Skip, it's great to see so much of what your dad started and his vision passed on to you and the next generation. And I just have to say, as somebody that's been at NVCA now for a decade. On behalf of myself and everyone that's worked at NVCA, on behalf of all of the members over the years of NVCA, on behalf of the entrepreneurs that those members invest in, and on behalf of all the work that's been done to educate policymakers to make sure it's right, I just want to say thank you, show my appreciation to your dad and to your family that had to be there to support his work and his vision. And now you carrying it on as legacy. I just, you know, on behalf of everybody, thanks to, to Ned Heiser. Very much appreciate it. And I'll throw one thing in there. Thanks to my mom too. That's why I said the full family, because <laughs> it's. Uh, I know everybody that uh, supports uh, somebody like your dad deserves the credit too. Bobby, I don't think there was ever an investment my dad made because you know, investing in people where he didn't at some point make sure my mom met the person before he put the money in. <laughs> I love it. Well, thanks to your mom as well. Yes. Well, thank you, Bobby. It's uh, for your good work and your team's good work. And uh, I'm looking forward to the next 50 years. Well, I am too. Skip Heiser, thank you so much for joining us and sharing a little bit about your dad and about the, the beginnings of the NVCA as we embark upon a year where we will celebrate the 50th anniversary. Thanks for joining us on Venture Capital. Thank you, Bobby. To continue our trip down memory lane, we want to welcome Chris Brody. Chris was the board chair at NVCA in 1985 and all told, I think, spent more than a decade on the board of NVCA. Chris, welcome to Venture Capital. Well, thank you for having me here. So, Chris, you're one of the few folks that were in the room. And when I say in the room, I don't mean a single room, a single meeting or anything like that. But I know you worked with Warburg Pincus, Lionel Pincus was on our original charter when it was created in 1973. Can you describe a little bit about 
kind of what the mood was or some of the players that you got a chance to work with and be in the room with when the NVCA was being formed? Things had gotten to the point where it was felt there was no choice, that it would be a matter of survival to stand up and explain ourselves. And Pete Bancroft from Bessemer wrote a white paper called Venture Capital and Entrepreneurship, an Endangered Species, which became the most important piece that early on we presented to policymakers to try to enable them to understand our industry and its contribution. In the course of these meetings, what had been somewhat of an East Coast, West Coast divide also started to narrow. So it was agreed that a new association would be formed, the leader for which would be rotated each year, and efforts to undertake a sophisticated lobbying activity in Washington would be put in place. The entity would be called the National Venture Capital Association. It was incorporated in early 1973. An office was established in DC. Staff was hired and regular meetings with a newly established board were instituted. Board members would take turns meeting with policymakers and their staffs, mostly in Washington, but also in congressional districts of key members of Congress. But we had a lot to learn in those days. I remember one meeting where in the middle of a heated discussion about how terrible increasing capital gains was, David Morgenthaler said, I figured it out. We're long on conviction and short on content. So uh, one of my partners was a world-renowned economist. He introduced me to a young economist at Harvard named Martin Feldstein, who had ultimately become chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors for the president. And I went up to Harvard to see him to describe our problem. And he had the National Bureau of Economic Research write a white paper and do research, which showed the impact of reduced capital gains rates on capital formation, which showed what the impact would be from reduced capital gains rates on capital formation and the economy. I remember another meeting. There were three of us from the board at a private dinner with a senior member of Congress to talk about tax policy. I got back to Washington. I talked to the senior tax partner of our law firm. He said, how'd the meeting go? And I said, I went great. I said, he agreed with everything he said, to which this man said, you're screwed. And he was right. We didn't understand how Washington worked. So this was a learning experience. It was a journey. That doesn't mean it wasn't conducted by very sophisticated businessmen who were global and worldly and well-experienced, but it was another culture. Chris, what was the culture of the industry back then? How were people coming to this? The industry itself was a very small industry at that time. If some entrepreneur came to our office and thought he was threatening us that he would go to another firm uh, for investment. After he left, we might pick up the phone and call a partner in that firm who we knew well and ask him what he thought of the deal. And if we both liked it, we'd probably share it. So it was very collegial. And the industry originally, going back to the 40s and 50s, were the family offices of wealthy families. The Phipps had Bessemer Securities. The Rockefellers had Venrock. The uh, Ross Shields had Newcourt Securities. And Uh, With the exception of Rockefeller, their partners were original signers to the NVCA document. A number of families did not want to attract attention to what they did, and the idea of going to Washington uh, was not their first choice. And while the firms were very cordial, they didn't share internal data with each other. 
By the way, they still don't share internal data with one another very easily, <laughs> sometimes not even with us. What were the top issues for the industry back in the 70s that inspired the need for a national voice in Washington? Most of us would not have known each other before, but the clouds were coming over the industry. Carter wanted to increase long-term capital gains taxes. The Labor Department was fussing with some regulations that would have blocked pension plans from investing in venture capital partnerships. The Accounting Principles Board didn't like the fact that employees could make money on their stock options and it wouldn't show up as an expense. And that was at a point in time where employees didn't fully appreciate the value of the options and anything that made it harder to do would be harder to attract employees and build companies. Venture capital was not well understood in Washington. In fact, it was probably misunderstood. And the industry had continued by its own choice to be very sort of private and out of the spotlight. And let me just interject there, because 50 years later at the NVCA, we still find that Washington misunderstands the venture industry and many times lumps us into private equity, to hedge funds, real estate funds, and others. So we still have that challenge 50 years later. Chris, thank you so much for sharing the history of what it was like 50 years ago as the NVCA was being formed. It's incredible to have somebody that was in the room and, and to talk about that. Now, let me just ask you, how does it feel to you since you have been engaged with us for five decades as we celebrate this 50th anniversary of NVCA? So I was privileged to actually be on the board twice. I started as a uh, chairman of the tax committee, and then I was chairman of the what was the ERISA committee, and then I became chairman. In those days, we called it president. And then I came back later for another crisis to go on the board. It's been a real thrill seeing how what was basically a formless industry without a center of gravity, but a lot of smart, well-meaning, hardworking people figuring out how to create the kind of sophisticated lobbying organization that the NVCA has become today, enabled the industry to establish a national and international reputation for integrity, dealing with counterparties and Washington officials, and enabling all of us to have the benefits on most days of enlightened Washington regulation. Well said. We will be celebrating our big anniversary and our VC award winners at our annual Leadership Gala in San Francisco on May 11th. For more information and tickets, please visit nvca.org. Now, before we leave you, here's another fun fact. Did you know there's a gym with a basketball court on the top floor of the U.S. Supreme Court building, which means there's a higher court inside the highest court in the land? Thank you for listening to Venture Capital, a podcast from the National Venture Capital Association. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Share your thoughts and ideas with us on Twitter or LinkedIn and tell your friends about the show. I'm your host, Bobby Franklin, wishing you good days ahead. Bye for now.